This morning I'll be reading from Matthew 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled his accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Forever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. <clears throat> and it is good to have you with us. Um, I want to guide your reflection for just a moment. I want to pose a question. Not only did what did you hear, see, experience in the story, but I want you to do an evaluative question. Who is the hero in this story? Who's the hero? If you don't mind, turn to the person next to you and answer that question. And why? Why do you think they're the hero? There probably are wrong answers, but no one's going to grade you except God. So you have little to fear. But uh, the rules are simple here at Highland. If you don't want to play this game because you're sitting next to somebody that you don't know, pull out your phone. Find Matthew 25 and read it again. That'll be the signal that you want to play. If you don't know the person and you do want to play, just look them in the eye and introduce yourself and then uh, answer that question. Who is the hero in this story? Just take a couple of, of moments, 30 seconds to answer that. Ready, set, go. It's probably time to switch now. If you haven't had a chance to switch, now's your shot to listen. <clears throat> I think this is a story that most of Jesus' first listeners probably could imagine. They could probably vibe with it, but I doubt they'd ever experienced a story like this. 
Because it's pretty rare to imagine what Jesus tells, but it's, it's pretty rare to experience it, but it's pretty easy to imagine it. There's this rich person. He's socially important. He's probably politically valuable. And he's called away for business or some sort of a political appointment or assigned position in the empire. And so he has to leave. And so he, he uh, leaves his estate to trusted servants. Now, they're slaves, actually, but they're trusted slaves. And each, uh, the rich person gives each servant according to their skill set, and then comes back later. But this is, this story is, is parable is nestled in a series of stories in Matthew, and as, as Tara pointed wisely out, the question that Jesus is trying to answer is who is faithful and wise? That's not the question the disciples ask. The question the disciples ask is, when are you coming back? But the question that Jesus answers is, in the meantime, what are you going to do? And the parable before this one is of the ten young women, which we talked about in July. The, the faithful and the wise ones are those who are ready to serve. And the story after this one is about separating sheep from goats. And the faithful and the wise ones are those that are doing the service that the God prefers, namely to the least of these. And each of these stories have this like kind of impending departure of Jesus because the next chapter, it begins Jesus' journey into Jerusalem and the cross. And the disciples, like the ten young women, are going to have to wait up at Gethsemane to be ready. We're going to see that each of these stories is connected to the passion of Jesus but this parable has a scale of money that Jesus' followers can't imagine. I, I don't know if I can imagine it either. The talent was the largest form of currency in the first century. It's worth 6,000 denarii. A denarii was enough for a, a day's subsistence labor. Uh, about 10, 15, maybe 20 years of work, depending on how you calculate it. A talent was equal to probably over a million dollars in today's wages. And that's why the NIV translation of a sack of gold is a reasonable translation. These are big amounts of money. And it might be tempting to kind of place, we know who this rich man is. They're the venture capitalists. Their job is to invest. But before you think of like that GoFundMe startup that's, that's helping the little guy get ahead, this is way more like Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. Kind of a vulture that preys in the system. They would give out loans to farmers and to small fishermen, to bakers. And when they couldn't pay, they would seize their goods as collateral. They would take the boat back. They would take the land back. They would take the bakery back. And then the person that had owned it previously became a client and worked for the rich man for the rest of their life. The system was rigged uh, as, you know, bad years or drought or injury or even just bad luck created a system. It was like gambling at a casino. Eventually, the house is going to win. Maybe not Gordon Gecko because that's like an 80s reference and half of you weren't even born yet. It's more like Ursula and the Little Mermaid making bets, stealing souls. 
And Jesus' hearers would be nodding their heads in recognition. They may have never held a bag of gold. They may have never even seen a talent. But they knew stories in their families and in their villages of people that got grafted into functional slavery and couldn't get out. So who are the heroes? Who's the hero in this story? I think for most of my life growing up, I was taught that the hero in the story are the first two servants. And we have to add an asterisk there, a few things that we need to qualify for that. That faithful service is not rightly done in in fear of a harsh boss, nor is it done in hopes of reward, but this sort of dangerous interpretation flirts with a kind of works righteousness. The service that these two first servants do is, is due to their awe and their obedience and their gratitude. God gives benefits out of sheer grace, not in response to the harried work of greedy servants. I mean, this story is more about vocation than it is about investment. And there's this kind of fortunate yet unfortunate homonym in the word talent. Because the first readers, it's a million-dollar bill, but to us, it's a skill or an ability, and it gets lost on us. What feels like a ridiculous investment becomes compared to, like, my ability to encourage somebody else on a Sunday morning or your ability to manage a spreadsheet, somebody that can cook a good casserole to open up their house to hospitality. That's, those are all good talents. And you might talk about a, a five-talent church or a, a three-talent person. And i got to tell you the truth. We are a five-talent church if we're defining it that way. We had two cellos up on service today. Right? <laughs> but the, the moral of the story is get up and do your vocation. Don't be lazy like the one talent guy. Don't live in fear. Get up and do your work. Do it so when the master returns, he is pleased and you will hear, good and faithful servant, enter my joy. Which became a text that sounds a lot like heaven to us. It's a funeral statement. And so if the first two servants are the heroes, then there is this really unsettling line when the master says, for whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. And it would be difficult at best to align such a statement to the other sayings that are also in Matthew that Jesus says, such as, the last will be first and the first will be last, or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Matthew's boss in this story seems at odds with the heart of Matthew's gospel. This cannot be God because God is not a harsh God. I want to contrast this with the parable that Amy preached for us. The generous, almost obscene grace of the manager who paid the late workers the same as those who had toiled all day. So maybe if we think the hero is the first or the second service servant, maybe this reading is too light. Look, when, you, when, when a parable happens in this form, if we, if we looked at just the way that Jesus is telling the story, um, 
there's a typical way to understand this story. So maybe it's not the first or second servant. Maybe it's the third servant that's the hero. And hang with me for just a second. Maybe the third uh, servant is the hero because we all know the story of the three bears, right? The porridge is too hot, then it's too cold, then it's just right. Yeah, Jesus uses this. The priest passes by, then the Levi, but then the Samaritan comes, and he is just right. George W. Bush was too hard, Rick Perry was too soft, but Greg Abbott is just right. I mean, he is really right, right? (laughs) And so the, the form of the story makes you want to think that the third one coming is the right one. And he's also the different one, which fits to the Samaritan story that David preached. But what he says is weird, if that's true. If he was trying to sway the master after taking the bag of gold and burying it in the dirt, he would have flattered him. But that's not what the third servant does. He speaks truth to power. I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So instead of investing the money, he buries it in the ground. And I think this is where the other parable that Jesus told about a man who finds treasure in a field and digs it up, I think that's where he comes in, right? But maybe this third servant is trying to make a point. And the point is, is that your goal doesn't grow. It doesn't grow like seeds. It doesn't grow like the farmer's honest work. And so maybe this third servant is not an act of, of fear, but of defiance. And maybe he's closer to the heart of God than we originally think. Now, he is called a lazy, worthless servant, but who's calling him that? After all, Isaiah condemns those who join house to house and field to field. Amos has sharp words, perhaps the sharpest words in the Old Testament, for those who home house after house after house. And the third servant admits, I'm afraid. Now, being afraid is not the same thing as doing what is right, not doing what is right. He's doing what he believes is right, but he says, I am afraid, and rightfully so, because the master takes away his one talent and gives it to the guy that already has more than he could possibly do with. When the master says, for whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken for him. This is not a performative statement, but a declarative one. This is how the world works. Then he throws him out into the outer outer darkness, where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. And he finds there everyone else who has no land. And everyone else who can't keep up with the pace of the rhythm of the economy. But look at the next story. Look at the next parable. If you have your Bible, you can just jump down and read the next parable, but you know what it is because you've heard it. I've heard it preached a dozen times in my life. It's a story about sheep and goats. It's about God separating who's coming in to the kingdom and who's not. And the basis by which God separates them is who met Christ. 
We meet Christ mysteriously by feeding the hungry, by giving drink to the thirsty, by welcoming the stranger, by clothing the naked, by caring for the sick, by visiting the imprisoned. This is Matthew 25, 25 through 40. In other words, we meet Christ in the places of pain and marginality. We meet Christ in the outer darkness. This whistleblower's punishment kicks him out of the rich man's system, but it brings him closer to the true Lord who dwells with the poor and the pressed. So maybe the third man, the third servant, is the hero of the story. Okay, but maybe that version's too dark. So let me give you just one more. Maybe the hero in the story is the gospel. Maybe the hero in the story is love. Now, I've kind of already revealed my cards here. Um, I think the third, the third iteration is the right one which probably feels like most to you as a Jesus juke. Have you experienced the Jesus juke? You're having a normal conversation at a party, somebody brings up Jesus, and everybody's like, ah, I love the Jesus juke. Can I tell you my last Jesus juke? You guys can't tell this story to anybody else. Um, uh, so I got a call from another church, and they'd heard about our discernment. They heard about our decision about elders. And, and the, the minister said that, well, we'd like to talk to you about this. And I was like, oh, well, we have a lot of resources that you can go online. We'll show them to you about how we made the decision and what our text is and all these things. And he said, yeah, well, we would just would like to talk face-to-face. You know, um, you and maybe an elder or two of yours, me and an elder or two of mine, and we'd like to discuss the topic. And I said, okay, well, tell me more what you want to do. He said, well, we want to just sit down and, and discuss how you got there. And I said, but you can read this, but yeah, sure, we can, we can meet face-to-face. We can discuss this. That's no, no problem. I got a sense of what's about to happen, but I'm not going to assume anything. And I said, so what's, what's the end of this conversation? What would you like to get out of this conversation? And he said, well, you know, Brother Hughes, what we'd like to get out of this conversation is unity. And I couldn't help it. God, forgive me, I could not help it because the next thing that came out of my mouth is, brother, I 100 absolutely percent agree that unity should be the goal of this conversation and thank God that the unity that we share is in the blood of Jesus Christ, not in our doctrinal decisions. Booyah! (laughs) Silence on the phone for five seconds. Yeah, well, let me know when you want to get together. Absolutely, brother. A Jesus juke. Maybe the hero is not the first and second uh, servant. Maybe the the hero is not the third servant, although he's close. Maybe the hero is the gospel. And to illustrate this point, I'd like to reference another movie that's so old that some of you weren't born. It's Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. This beautiful movie from like 1992. It's Whoopi Goldberg before she went on The View when she was just an actor. Um, and the story of Sister Act 2 is, is fairly simple. Whoopi Goldberg plays this lounge singer who lives in Vegas, and she witnesses a murder from a mob boss. And in order to protect her as a witness, they send her into the witness protection program, which just happens to be a nunnery. And so she dresses as a nun. She puts on the habit, and she begins to live with these nuns in this urban city. 
and the nunnery is totally disorganized. Their, their appetites are disordered. Their direction is disordered. But somehow Whippy Goldberg, through the power of music and, and, and comedy, she begins to order the choir. Some people are singing too loud and they need to sing softer. Some are singing too high and they need to sing uh, lower. Some of them are, are singing too fast and they need to sing slower. And the problem is that the music doesn't connect. And so she changes the hymnody and all of a sudden the nunnery is back in action. And people start coming to church. And then they begin painting the walls of the church to make these beautiful murals. And they begin to serve the community. And all of a sudden what they intended this place to be from the very beginning, because their, their order, their, their passions become aligned to the heart of the Spirit, it becomes a place of life. It becomes a place of abundance. It becomes an ecology of love. Maybe the hero in the story is the gospel. And the problem in the story is fear. Because the third servant, he speaks the truth. He says, I'm afraid. And there is a sense that if you read scripture through a particular lens, that you can find that God is terrifying. That the holiness of God will kill you. Angels, when they appear in the Old Testament and the New, they scare the bejesus out of everyone they meet. The first thing they have to say is, don't be afraid. And you can't approach that kind of God. You're not allowed to go cross the barrier of the curtains into the most holy place. But if that is our only concept of God, then I think we've missed the full picture of what Scripture claims that God is. Because John will tell us that, that love drives out fear. Knowing the truth of God will set you free. And free to live out the vocation that you are called to do. What would you do if you had one talent? Not one ability. What if you had a million dollars? Give most of us a million dollars and come back later. I'm not sure what you would do with that money, but um, I'm sure I would show you not a lot other than having even more theology books that I haven't had a chance to read yet. That's what I would do with a million dollars. I think Phil Ratliff would have more comic books and not a lot else to show of a million dollars. Uh, read would probably have the finest hair care products imaginable and not a lot else to show for that million dollars. It's like that joke about the farmer that won the lottery and they ask him, what are you going to do with it? And he says, I imagine I'll just keep on farming until it's all gone. That's a slow burn. What do you have? that is more worth than gold. Every person in this room has a five talent resource right now. Million dollar opportunity. It's the gospel. And in the calculated risk that God calls us to take is just to use the gospel.
pray for our enemies, to refuse vengeance, to forgive extravagantly, to stop worrying about tomorrow. That's what God calls you to do with the, uh, with the deposit that he's given you. The, the abundance of gospel lives. It's the farmer that throws seed and, and returns. Uh, the return is a hundredfold. It's a mustard weed that grows into a mighty tree that makes space for an ecosystem to thrive. We experience the joy of the gospel when we align our purpose to the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. And if we just had a sister that could be in our midst and align us the way that Whoopi Goldberg aligned the choir then maybe we'd get to experience and be welcomed into the joy of the Father. There was this place in Denver. Um, it was like a, just a, a fun center. It had a, a pool with these giant water slides. It had these bowling alleys. It had the old school arcades, like the quarter arcades. It had a snack bar. It had everything that you could hope for. It was kind of like prime time here in town. And once a year, the third and the fourth graders got to take a field trip to prime time. It was the highlight of those two years of my educational career. And the second year that I got to go, my mom, she gave me $20 to go to prime time. Well, celebrities, but prime time. And imagine with me at the end of the day when she comes by to pick me up, and she asked me, what'd you, what'd you do? How was today? And I think there's two stories that equate to the joy that we get to carry when we begin playing with the cannot lose gospel that God has offered us. Mom, I played Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles until I beat the game. It took me 40 quarters. I didn't care. I won. Mom, I played skee-ball until I had enough tickets that I bought myself a bear and my little brother something. It's just a piece of gum, but he gets something. <laughs> I bowled and I bowled and I bowled until I hit a strike, Mom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that is already yours when you realize that the treasure you hold is the gospel. Imagine the other end of that story. Son, what did you do? Did you have any fun? Well, Mom, I knew you gave me the money, but I didn't want to waste it. Here's your 20 back. I don't know if I would be more disappointed in that situation or if my mom would have been more disappointed in that situation. The question that Matthew's trying to answer in this, this series of stories over and over, who is the one that is faithful and wise? And this story about the talents, the one who is faithful and wise is the one who learns to lean into the vocation that God has called them to with courage, trusting that God will bring the growth. And that is not a word that's too light or too dark. That is a word that is just right. Will you please stand for our benediction? Our prayer team is going to be available for you up front. If you need prayer, uh, please don't hesitate to come forward at the end of the service. 
they'd be happy to talk with you. If you want to talk to an elder because there's a burden on your heart, um, call one up. They'd be happy to meet with you this week. They are good pastors in this church. That's one of the reasons we're a five-talent church. Highland, may you do the work of God despite your fear. May you forgive extravagantly. May you love generously. May you experience all the joy that God has in store for you this week. Go in peace.